This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The Department of Homeland Security is moving rapidly to adopt a new rule that would order the routine collection of biometric data in immigration cases. And that's really just the start of it. Cato's Patrick Eddington and Matthew Feeney wrote separate comments on the proposed rule. We spoke last week. This is sort of an odd situation, uh, and I'll describe it as best I can, but you two have written comments on notices of proposed rulemaking at the federal level, uh, but you wrote separately uh, on uh, the issue. So, Pat, why don't you lay out what the proposed rule is and why uh, both of you felt the need to respond to this proposal so quickly? So when this was brought to our attention uh, by some folks uh, in the immigration rights community, uh, we realized that we had a relatively short uh, time frame in which to work. And so that's, that's why we made the decision to go ahead and just kind of crank out our own two cents worth. If we'd had another week or 10 days, we would have done a single comment together. But uh, this is a, a particular proposed rule by the Department of Homeland Security uh, for the collection and use of biometrics by the Citizenship and Immigration Service. And the long and the short of it is they want to begin employing uh, a range of biometrics, a much greater range of biometrics uh, on folks than has heretofore been the case. But the most radical thing that I think caught my attention uh, was in the summary uh, for this proposed rule where it says, and I'm quoting now, first, DHS proposes that any applicant, petitioner, sponsor, beneficiary, or individual filing or associated with an immigration benefit or request, including United States citizens, must appear for biometrics collection without regard to age unless DHS waives or exempts the biometrics requirement, end quote. So, this is totally unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this uh, uh, before. And Matthew will correct me if I'm wrong, but in the past, uh, it's generally been the case that it's just photographs and fingerprints uh, that are required for this kind of thing. And it's usually uh, confined just to the person, in this case, almost always an alien, who is applying uh, for a visa or perhaps a legal permanent resident status or something else in that regard. Uh, there has never been any kind of requirement uh, for any U.S. person accompanying them or related to them to have to submit for this kind of thing. So that that alone got my blood going uh, and and convinced me that we needed to to do something. Um, and with respect to the the scope of of this and the technological implications of it, uh, I'll I'll defer to Matthew to talk about that in some detail. Right. That that was a really a really good outline. Um, it's certainly true that. Uh, as things stand, people who have been through the immigration system will know that there is some collection of biometrics. And uh, certainly, I, I recall years ago going through my my green card process and having to go and get um, photographed and and fingerprinted. Uh, but this proposed rule expands not just the number of people who are potentially wrapped up into biometric collection, as Patrick said, this could include uh, American citizens, but it also grows the number of so-called biometric modalities that they can collect. And these include not just fingerprints, but they also discuss in the rule uh, palm prints, uh, signatures, voice prints, iris images, and DNA. 
And this is a, a massive expansion, I think should send chills down the spine of anyone who values civil liberties, um, and especially not just because this includes immigrants, but also uh, potentially Americans who are sponsoring immigrants or related to immigrants. Uh, the, the DNA, for example, is um, mentioned in this very long rule, uh, which we had, I think, something like 30 days to put comment together for, um, as a means to confirm family relationships for people who arrive in the United States. Uh, the, the ostensive concern is that there are people arriving of children and they're saying that they're the parent when in fact they're not. Um, the, the concern, especially with that, is number one, there are families are made up differently and adoption is a thing, as are step-parents. Uh, and there are legal documents that already can confirm uh, certain relationships. But uh, basically, this is the kind of, um, I, I quoted in my comic, uh, what Scalia in his Maryland v. King descent called the growth of a genetic panopticon. Uh, which I think we should be very wary of. What is the public rationale for doing this? Well, I want to, uh, well, they say uh, that the, the the point is to you know, make the uh, immigration system more um, efficient and, and secure. So there is certainly a degree of fraud uh, that, that goes on, uh, but whether whether this passed the cost-benefit analysis, I'm very, very skeptical of. So, for example, voice prints. Uh, there was a mention in the document about uh, using voice prints for authentication, uh, which namely, well, you should just be able to call a government office and it can just recognize your voice and then uh, that will act as authentication. And that sounds very efficient. Um, and it has been used by other uh, countries, such as the British and the Australians uh, do similar things for tax purposes. Uh, but we should also remember this has been used, um, similar technology has been used by the Chinese uh, in order to help um, conduct surveillance. So we should keep in mind that a lot of this data, uh, and I think history bears this out, that a lot of data collected for one reason can quickly leak into being used for other reasons. And in this context, surveillance is the most concerning. I would say behind the scenes, um, I think anyone objectively reading this document um, has to view it as uh, an attempt to just dissuade immigration to the United States. This is putting um, burdens on American citizens, um, not just financially and with their time, but also with their civil liberties. There is uh, a concern that um, I've heard expressed before that when you broaden the range of the collection of data about uh, individuals, and you narrow the particular groups to which uh, this kind of collection will be aimed at, you are in essence creating a new class. That is a, a group of people for whom the government has, has collected this information and on whom I would think law enforcement priorities might be focused in a way that they are not and cannot be focused on people about whose uh, whose information the government does not have. I, th I think that's absolutely fair. And and I also think when we talk about this issue of, of fraud, um, it, it, it could actually work in reverse here. And what I mean by that is if you stop and think about the kind of data that they want to collect from individual human beings, that data could be used by unscrupulous government employees to commit all manner of identity theft, fraud, uh, Etc. Um, it could be abused in ways that we can't even begin to understand. So when we talk about uh, voice prints, for example, uh, and some of the other data that we're talking about here, uh, that could absolutely be misused. And it's not like we don't have really concrete evidence of government employees misusing 
surveillance authorities or, or the kind of data collection authorities. We go back to the Obama administration uh, when we learned through the work of uh, Senator Chuck Grassley that folks at the National Security Agency were utilizing uh, NSA capabilities to literally spy on their spouses, their former lovers, their current lovers, et cetera. This whole thing got the, the name of Lovent, uh, which is a, a takeoff of, of Signals Intelligence uh, 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 acronym of SIGINT. And I think that's exactly you know what we have to be worried about here in, in terms of how this could be exploited, especially when we're talking about uh, American citizens here as well. I would I would only add that even if you trust the the government um, completely, which is a, an instinct I urge all people to reconsider, uh, <laughs> I would men, I would note that the uh, the the kind of data we're discussing, biometric data, has has leaked in the past. Uh, so even with uh, you know, it's not just um, give we should be worried about what the government might do with this, but we should be worried about the kind of security that. Um, the, that will govern the collection of this data because there are also criminals and other foreign adversaries we should worry about. Um, something else I want to, to just quickly mention is it's just a pattern that we've seen with Homeland Security is that these surveillance tools um, regularly get um, borrowed by state and local uh, police departments. And we know that DHS is assisted in the surveillance of protesters and other people engaging in First Amendment protected activities. Uh, and I, so that's just something I mentioned because I think anyone considering this kind of rulemaking ought to take a broader context and put it in um, a historical context. With respect to uh, how courts have handled this in the past, one of the concerns that, that I've had that I think a lot of people have had, uh, especially uh, attorneys who litigate this kind of stuff, is the degree to which it can turn uh, probable cause on its head. That is, you have a database of information. We have a crime that was committed. Let's go search the database uh, to find suspects, which is not how that is supposed to work. Well, and then also, when, when you look at what we are now seeing with respect to uh, the entire issue of facial recognition, I'm sure that Matthew can get into even more detail than I can on this. But to the best of my knowledge, just this year alone, we have two confirmed cases now where we've had misidentifications by police in this country uh, of persons of color, uh, men of color, as I recall, on the basis of these algorithms uh, that are used for this kind of stuff. So we, we get into all kinds of areas here. The thing that, that also astounded me as I, I began to kind of really dig into the legislative history on on biometrics uh, over the last 20 years is that this proposed rule, at least in my judgment, would be in direct violation of existing law. Um, you know, we only have a couple of laws on the books right now that really kind of govern a lot of what DHS can necessarily do in the area of biometrics. And uh, those statutes are the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act of, of 2004, and then the implementations of the 9-11 Commission Act uh, of 2007. And if you look at what DHS is proposing to do here, and you look at the two statutes that I've just cited, they appear to be in direct conflict. Now, I'll, I'll admit I'm not an attorney. I, I, I may, it's entirely possible that I'm misinterpreting the statute here, but as I read the plain text of it, uh, I think they have a problem. Now, that's not to say uh, that there couldn't be a, a John U. wannabe uh, over a DHS's uh, uh, general counsel office who has written a clever opinion saying, no, 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 
uh, that's not what those statutes uh, actually intended to do at all. Uh, you, they only really apply to these things, and you know this is fine. Uh, you can go ahead with that. Um, so that that's one of the other big concerns that I have with this right now, and it'll be interesting to see you know whether other folks have kind of picked up on that as well in their comments. We should also consider that, uh, as as Patrick alluded to, these these technologies aren't as uh, accurate as maybe CSI would make a lot of people in the public believe. These the 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 issues of uh, racial bias are, I think, pronounced not just in facial recognition but also with uh, voice recognition. Uh, it's uh, important to consider that the false positives and false negatives are not spread equally across demographic groups. Uh, and in the context of immigration enforcement, I think that's of um, particular concern. Pat Eddington is a research fellow, and Matthew Feeney directs the Project on Emerging Technologies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>